and Brittany, and they have an opportunity to kind of love her and pour into her, and they saw them again this week, which was another beautiful thing. And then this week we were praying, we need some more chairs, and so we were praying, God, like, what, what's it going to look like? How are we going to get those chairs? And some of you know that the Spartanburg Baptist Network uh, donated us $1,000 so that we could buy some more chairs. And then this week, another church in our community, New Spring Church, David Hall is our campus pastor. He's a good friend of mine. And I was talking to him about how God's growing our church and how God's working. And I asked him if he had some old chairs. And he's like, does it matter what color? And I said, no, it doesn't matter what color. Whatever they look like, I'll take them. And so David uh, called me on Tuesday, Thursday and said, hey, we want to buy you guys the rest of the chairs that you need. Yeah. So we're, all the chairs that we needed, we're going to have provided pretty soon. They've already been paid for, but they're on back order. But God, God is going to provide those. I'm back order like everything else right now, right? Can't get a dishwasher for six months. But anyways, uh, that's the way that God works. It's like we ask and we receive, like through the power of the Holy Spirit, like God wanted to provide for us. And he's so good at sending people like the Spartanburg Baptist Network and people like uh, New Spring to come around us and love us well and to pour into us because they see what God's doing in our church and they want to be a part of that. And so God has been really, really good. And then this week we needed a camera. I was like, okay, we need to start, we're going to start sending the sermon audio and video into the kids' wing and into this room right here, which on Easter Sunday will be a family room. So if you have kids and you're like, man, my kids are rowdy, but I want to put them in the kids' department, you can hang out with them right here in this room. There's going to be couches. There's going to be a nursing mother's station. There's going to be a TV with a sermon and everything like that. And so we were praying, God, how do we get it in there? So I texted two churches, the View Church, and one of them in Boiling Springs, and another one is Calvary Church. And so I texted them. I was like, hey, guys, I need a camera. Do you have one? That's all they hear from me. Do you have this, right? <laughs> and so they te uh, Tyler at the View Church texted me right back, and he's like, yeah, we have a some fancy-looking camera, and I was like, okay, cool. So I was like, I'm going to get there, and it's just going to be this old camera. He's like, it's better than work. I was like, but I'm fine with it, because I'll take me down. And so I get there, and it's basically a brand-new camera, like an awesome camera. Like, this camera costs lots of money that we don't have. And so we got that camera for free, okay, because God wants to provide now, he doesn't want to provide us with everything. He's not just going to be like, I need a Lamborghini, and like, he's got a Lamborghini for me. I'm not just going to pray for $10,000. He's going to show it up. But when the church needs something to make disciples, God's going to provide that. God's going to come through with that. But it all starts with the ask. Y'all hear me on that? It all starts with the ask. See, sometimes we are so resistant to God because we're like, well, God, I, I don't want to come before you with something small, or I don't want to come before you with something selfish. God knows that you're selfish. He already knows that. He's got that figured out. All God wants to do is provide for you. So when you ask, he wants to give you what you need. He's not always going to do that because sometimes what you need isn't what you actually need. But it's like sometimes we're so fearful to ask God because we don't think we're good enough. Or because we don't think he wants to do it. Or because we're fearful of how he'll look at us. You guys are like, no, I'm never fearful about how God will look at us. Yes, you are because I am. I'm fearful how God will look at me. I'm fearful that God will think I'm a bad person. And then I started thinking this week, God already knows I'm a bad person. <laughs> That's why he sent Jesus, right? And so I, I have to get that out of the mindset that I don't want to ask God. I just want God to do it. But then I had to get into the mindset that sometimes I'll ask God and he's not going to do it. Because God has something more providential in his path for me than I thought was what I needed. Amen. 
And so I had to be okay with the asking, but I also had to be okay with the yes, and I had to be okay with the no. And now when God doesn't provide something that I thought I needed, I realize I really didn't need it. And I learned how to be thankful in that. See, we've been looking, we've been going over Abram and his story in Genesis, and we're going through the Bible this year, the stories of transformation, and we've been in this story of transformation with Abram. And how God took a man and said, I want you to leave everything you've ever known and go to this country that you do not know. I want you to leave everything and I want you to come. Take, take some family, take some cattle and go. And we look at him and he goes and he worships. And he has transformation. And then he messes up really bad. And says, no, my wife's my sister, Pharaoh. Right? And gets in a little situation right there. But then Abram steps back up and God provides for him. Then Abram falls down again. Then Abram gets back up and God provides for him. See, that's, it's not just Abram. See, God loved Abram. God said that Abram was one of the most faithful men to ever live. Everything that he did was credited to him as righteousness through his faith. But Abram got up and fell down just like us. See, sometimes we get up and we're going to fall down. We're not always going to be perfect. We're never going to be perfect, but we're not always going to see the results that we thought we would see. We're not always going to please God in the way that we thought we would please Him. There's going to be times where our faith, we think, is small, just like Abram, where we're on this track and we're like, yes, I can tackle anything. And then you break a nail, and you're like, I can do nothing. <laughs> right? Me. Every time I get a new girl toenail, you touch my toenail, I'm going to cry. Right? So it's like, I can tackle anything. Then that happens. Like, oh, I fall down. When we fall down, we shouldn't feel this shame and this guilt that constricts us. We should feel conviction that propels us. And so Abram's story is a really interesting one. And we see God make a covenant with Abram that he's going to provide him with as many offspring as the stars. We see God make these covenants with him. We see God tell him what he's going to do. We see Abram say, I'm too old. Because we're always limiting God by our own expectations and our own limitations of who we are. See, it's funny. It's not about having more faith. It's about how, who you have faith in. And sometimes the reason that we're limited in what we believe that God can do is because we have faith in ourselves instead of him. See, it's not about increasing your faith. You don't just have this amazing amount of faith. Because in scripture, it says that if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, like this, that you can tell a mountain to jump in the lake and it'll jump in the lake. Have you seen any mountains jump in the lake recently? <laughs> that means you don't even have enough faith to tell a mountain to jump in the lake. What's wrong with you? No, I'm just kidding. So, it's one of those things where it's like, if that's the amount of faith it takes, it's not about how the amount of faith that we have, because that's so small, but it's about who we have faith in God. And God always provides. God always shows up. Turn your Bibles to Genesis 17. We're going to look at another way that God showed up for Abram. And then we're going to look at Abram's response because it's hilarious. Right? It's hilarious. You see, a lot of us in here, me, myself, we have low self-esteem. And so when someone tells us something, we kind of try to deflect it. Someone's like, you're beautiful. And you're like, oh, you're stupid. <laughs> right? You know what I'm talking about. Or someone's like, oh, that shirt looks so good on you. are like, no. <laughs> Unless you're Taylor and you're like, yeah, I know. <laughs> You've got a pride problem. <laughs> God hates a pride problem. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Taylor's getting it today. I'm sorry. <laughs> Dustin, you're up. <laughs> Genesis chapter 17. We're going to start in verse 1. 
And if you have a Bible and you see it says the covenant of circumcision, you're like, this dude about talking about circumcision? Yeah, it's going to be a good time. Get ready. <laughs> it says, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Think about that. The Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. I am God Almighty. Think of the power that's contained in that. He said, walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Powerful words right there. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and said, God, said to him, God, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and the kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. To be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan where you now reside as a foreigner. I will give you as an everlasting possession to your descendants after you and I will be their God. Then God said to Abraham, As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you for the generations to come. Every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner. Those who are not your offspring, whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant is in your flesh. It is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from this people and broken my covenant. God also said to Abraham, For, the, for Sari, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sari. Her name will now be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will, she will be the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. Abraham fell face down and laughed. And said to himself, Will a son be born of a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at ninety? Then Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Then God said, Yes, your wife Sarah will bear a son, and you will call him Isaac. Which is funny, because Isaac means laughter. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will surely bless him and make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of twelve rulers, and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I established with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear. To you for the time this next year. When he had finished speaking with Abraham, God went up from him. On that very day, Abram took his son Ishmael and those who were in his household, brought, bought with money every male in his household, and circumcised them. And God told him, Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised, and his son Ishmael was 13. Abraham and his son Ishmael were both circumcised on that day, and every male in Abraham's household, including those born in his household or bought with a foreigner, was circumcised with him. So let's just tackle the elephant in the room, circumcision, right? So we're talking about circumcision. Everybody in here knows what circumcision is. If you don't, we can 
go over a diagram or something afterwards. But for the sake of time, I want to establish everybody knows what circumcision is. So circumcision was the mark that the Israelites received from God. Okay, so why is it important to be circumcised? Well, it's exactly what God said. It was a fleshly establishment of the covenant. It's what set them apart. It was an outer mark that showed that they were different from the other people of the world. This was a mark that God gave the Christians, or at this time the Israelites, that showed that God had made a covenant with them. Now, circumcision also has some other interesting things. Number one is that people are like, well, God required them to be circumcised. That's really awesome, but does it do anything? Yes, it does a lot of things. So if you are a health person, if you do studies, you find out that Israelite women or Hebrew women or uh, Jewish women actually have the lowest rate for cervical cancer. And you're like, well, why does that matter? Like, well, because Jewish men are circumcised. And so even though God was providentially providing a way to set them apart, he was also saying, here's something I want to protect you with. Because that's the cool thing about the law that we don't always understand. That's the cool thing about God that we don't always understand. A lot of the law which he established with Moses was actually ways to protect his people. It was a way to set them apart, to show the outside world that they were different, that they were Christians, that they were followers of God, but it was also a way to protect them. Often people ask me, why couldn't they eat pork? Pork is good. Barry, knows when Barry smoked some pork for us one time at church, and he's going to have to do this again soon because it was like our highest attended Sunday because we had all this pulled pork, and one time he did brisket. It's good. Brisket's not from pork, whatever. And so... <laughs> It's like, why couldn't they eat pork? Well, it's funny. But they didn't have the equipment to eat pork to where it didn't have bacteria in it. And if they ate it, it would kill them. Boom! Mind blown! See, it's funny, but most of the Old Testament law is ways that God protected his people from dying. Why did they have to wash their hands all the time? Because stuff is dirty. Think about it. Being in the desert, all that sand, all that stuff you're touching... You go up and you're petting a camel. And then you're like, okay, camel, stay here. And you go in and you start to eat. You can't just start to eat. You got camel juice all over you. <laughs> you got to wash the hands. See, the, the law was a way to protect the people. Just like circumcision, God knew that this was a way of protection, but also a way to set them apart. And so God set apart his people with this act of circumcision. And it says that adult males were getting circumcised. Abraham was 99 years old. I want you to understand how painful that is. My, like, it, it, I can't even imagine. It takes days to recover from that as an adult. Days to recover. For a baby, it's a little bit different because they're new and all that. But with an adult, if it's pain, it hurts, it takes like five to seven days to recover from a circumcision as an adult. It's painful. And so Abraham said, I want to follow your covenant. I will endure the pain because you're that important to me. I will endure the pain. And he went out there and circumcised his whole household. Think about that. Think about the pain that's in that. You called me to a uh, covenant that I'm going to go through the painful things to get there. How often do we want to go through the painful things when God calls us to something? Very little. I don't want to. 
I don't want to go through the painful things when God tells me to do something. When I'm looking at the thing God's called me to, I'm usually like, okay, what's the easiest way? What's the way where I don't have to endure? What's the way where I don't have to have my finances hit? What's the way where I don't have to be emotionally hurt? What's the way, God, where I can go through all the stuff and it can just be lollipops and rainbows? And God always says, there's no such things as lollipops and rainbows. You've got to go through the mud to reach the place that I'm calling you to. You've got to sacrifice to reach the things that I'm calling you to. So Abraham says, I will follow this commandment. I will follow this covenant. Now, if we go back to the beginning part, because I wanted to get circumcision out of the way for just a moment. We're going to go back in a little while. But I wanted to hit on this part. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. That, that's high words. God in his perfection is telling Abram to walk before him blamelessly. How many of us in here are blameless? None. I'm not by any means. And God says to him, I want you to walk before me blamelessly. Like, how discouraging is that? You're like, okay, God, you're about to do something. And then he's like, walk before me blamelessly. And you're just sitting there like, that's a high expectation. I don't think I can do it. I don't think I can walk before you blamelessly. So think about Abram when he's sitting here and he's hearing these words from God. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. You know what's exciting about that? He doesn't say walk before me blameless and be faithful. Think about it. The words are arranged like this for a reason. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. See, what God wants from Abram is he wants the standard of perfection, but God knows that Abram can't meet the standard of perfection. Only one can meet the standard of perfection, and we'll get to him in a few moments. But what he says is walk before me faithfully and be blameless. When you walk before me faithfully, I will make you blameless. When you walk before me faithfully, I will make you blameless. Walk before me. Have faith. Trust in me. I don't care how much faith you got. I care about who you got faith in. And if you walk before me faithfully, be blameless. See, all that God wants is for us to trust. What God wanted from Abram right here was for him to trust him. For him to walk faithfully with him. How many of you guys in here at times in your life have been like, maybe you're in one of these times of your life right now, and you're like, man, I don't know what God's doing. I don't understand what's happening. Or maybe you're in a place in your life where you're just so filled with joy, but at other times in your life, you've been like, God, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know what you want me to do. I don't know what the steps look like. I don't know how you want me to fulfill the promises that you've called me to. I don't know how you want to use me. Or some of you are looking at a point where it's not even about God. You're like, God, I got nothing. God, I'm losing people. God, I don't feel good about myself. God, I got anxiety. God, I got depression. God, I don't know how to move. God, I feel like everything's falling apart, constantly crumbling before me. And you're thinking to yourself, how do I do it? How do I keep walking? How do I keep waking up in the morning? Because let's be real. Sometimes it's hard to get up in the morning. Because you're like, this day's probably going to be like yesterday. And yesterday wasn't that good. You're like, how am I going to get up?
get up today? Because we can be real. We're real people. Nobody's ever happy all the time. Parker's not here, but he's the closest. But like, we're, we're like, how can we be faithful? How can we be happy? How can we continue to live a life when we don't know what's happening on the other side? Especially during this time where everything's uncertain, where everything's we don't know what's going to happen. How can we continue to walk into a life where we don't know what's going to happen? Well, I am God Almighty. Walk faithfully before me. You feel that? You feel that power right there? God is saying, I am God. Just trust me. Just walk with me. You may not understand. It may look dark. It may not make any sense. But I want you. I want you. See, this is a specific covenant with Abram and the people of the Israelites. But it has so much for us in it. He says, I am God. When's the last time you recognized God? Think about that. For real, I want you to think about that. When's the last time you said, you're God and I'm me? And I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how I'm going to make it through, but I know that you're God. I know that you are the great I am. When's the last time you recognized God in your life? When's the last time you just said, I know you're God? I don't understand what's happening. I don't understand what's going to happen, God. I'm going to continue asking. I'm going to continue talking. But I don't understand it, but you're God. I would venture to say you haven't done that in a while. Because we've been taught that it doesn't matter who God is. He is just God. He is a get-out-of-hell-free card. He is this and he is that and he's always there, but he doesn't require our relationship. He doesn't require our sacrifice. And so we go through life without walking faithfully because we're just walking blindly in the intellectual knowledge that we have of God. You feel that? That's deep. You, You feel it? Like God is not an intellectual pursuit. God is a spiritual, relational pursuit, an intimate, vulnerable pursuit that ends in knowledge. I think about the smartest people I know, the smartest atheists I know. I don't believe in the term atheist, but I think of the smartest people who don't know God yet, who I know. And they can tell me more about the Bible. They can tell me all kinds of things about the Bible. I watched a documentary on HBO about this guy who knew so much about the Bible, but he had no relationship with Jesus. And I started to think, why does he not know that he is God Almighty? He knows everything about this, but he doesn't know that I am God Almighty. Well, it's because intellectual pursuit is different than a heart pursuit. You can tell me everything about Scripture that you want to tell me. You can tell me exactly what Adam said. He knew all the stories. But if the stories don't change your heart, if the stories don't show you God, if the stories are just about how much you know, then you have to understand that you need Jesus and he wants to transform you and he wants your whole self, the fullness of who you are, to experience the fullness of who he is. Abram had to humble himself before God. When he says, I am God Almighty, Abram falls on his face. When's the last time you fell on your face before God? When's the last time you just fell down and said, God, you are the Lord Almighty. You are moving in such a way I can't even stand before you. 
The last time I did was two weeks ago at a prayer night. When God just started to show me, when God started to move, and I could do nothing except for realize how powerless I was. And how good he was and that he is God Almighty. And so Abram realizes that and then God changes his name. There's something powerful in this. See, God's covenant with Abram, he says, now I'm going to give you an everlasting mark in circumcision to remember it. But I don't even want you to call yourself who you used to call you. I don't want anybody to look at you and see your name. I want people to look at you and see my promise. I want people to look at you and see that Jesus is so inside of you. I want people to look at you and just feel the faith and the power and the love of God. When people look at you, what do they see? Does Jesus exude from you? And that doesn't mean you're just happy all the time. Can I be real? Christians aren't just happy all the time. Sometimes I'm in a really bad mood. But even when I'm in a really bad mood, you know what doesn't come out of my mouth? Hateful things toward other people. Even when I'm in the car, and I've had to work on this, and I'm on the highway, and a semi-truck driver tries to take me out of existence. The old Ricky, the drug dealer Ricky, would be like, okay, I'm going to find out where you live. I see your license plate. I can make a call, right? But I've had to grow, and I have to be like, okay, I feel angry. But I guess Jesus loves you. <laughs> I guess what I want to do is not what I should do, and I have to breathe, and I just clench the wheel really tight. Because I got my kids in the back. If my kids see me acting like a fool, what are they going to do? They're going to act like a fool. That love exuding from me in that moment shows my kids the power of Christ and shows that he is God Almighty. Because naturally I couldn't do it. Naturally I'd want to chase him down. Naturally I'd want to get in front of him, slam on my brakes and make him stop, right? Don't, don't even act like you haven't done that. <laughs> don't even sit here and be like, oh, look at the pastor telling me all this stuff that I've never done. You guys are from South Carolina. I'm from Cincinnati. I don't have a big truck. Y'all, someone makes you mad. You take your big truck in their yard and you do some donuts, right? Like your page, you know what I'm talking about. They did it last night to Isaac because he's not here. See, as Christ should exude from us in everything that we do. When I go to the Walmart and the line's long, yeah, I said the Walmart. <laughs> when I go to the Walmart and the line's long, I can sit there and I can be mad and I can be frustrated and I can say, why does this lady not know how to do her job? Or I can sit there and I can say, God, let her know that I love her when I come up here. Because she's dealing with 17 other people who aren't exuding Jesus. She needs to be loved. Amen. Yeah, that's right. Because she's got three kids. Because she's making $12 an hour. Because she doesn't know how she's going to pay her bill. Because she doesn't have, she might not even have her baby's dad with them. And she's sitting there trying to make a living. And if I come up on her and be like, hey, let me tell you how worthless you are for $12 an hour. How am I going to show the love of Christ? I'll tell you what, I'm not going to. 
And I tell you what I'm going to do is create a bad name for the church that God has called us to serve. But when I go up there and I love her, even in a small way, and say, I hope you're having a great day. Because some days I don't got it inside of me to love people passionately. But some days I can love them just a little bit and it can make a big difference to the power of Christ. Because when I walk before him faithfully, she makes me blameless. See, God wanted Abram to reflect his promise, so he named him Abraham. Some people in this room right now, right now today, in this moment, you've got some names about you that you need to quit carrying. You've got some things people have said about you that you need to quit carrying. You've got some words you've been called that you need to quit carrying. You've got some mistakes that you've made that you need to quit carrying. Because today, Jesus wants to take you and make you something new, as the book of Corinthians says. He wants to wipe all of those things away because of the value that is contained inside of you through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross because he is God Almighty. Some of you can't exude Christ because you have a worthlessness about you. You carry something that you did in high school. Or you carry something that you did in college. Or you carry something that someone has said about you. You carry a mistake that you've made. God doesn't want you to carry those mistakes. Abram said to Pharaoh, this is my wife, but I'm going to say she's my sister to you. Because I don't want to get hurt. Guess what? You didn't do anything that bad. If Abram can let it go through God, you can let it go through God. You need to let go of something. Let go of it. Maybe it's your pride. Maybe you're just so prideful, or you're just so hard on yourself. You're like, I'm worthless. I'm nothing. I can't do anything. Every time I try to do something, it fails. Or maybe you're sitting there, and you're like, I can never have a relationship with anybody because I'm toxic. Or maybe you're like, I wish that I could have a better job. Or you're like, I wish I could do better. I wish that people would look at me differently. I wish I could lose weight. I wish X, Y, and Z. And you look at all these things, and you pile them on top of yourself. Or you're like, I wish I would have never made that mistake. Some of you are looking at your life like it's one full big mistake. Looking at the small things that you've done, and you need to understand that Christ loves you and wants to forgive you. Your sin is prevalent. Don't get me wrong. You are a sinner. We are sinners. Sinner is disobedient to God. We are that. And because of that, we deserve eternal separation from God. But because Jesus loves us so much, he comes into us. He died on the cross for us so that we can receive freedom from the disobedience. So that we can receive freedom from the things that we've done. The ways that we've been hurt. The things that people have said about us. And we can say those are with Jesus. And Jesus took those upon himself so that we could live a life of freedom. And so that our name could be changed. Hey, how many of you guys in here want a different name today? Now understand, I'm not just saying your name's not John anymore, now it's Lucas, right? Like, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying your name's not Jessica anymore, from now on it'll be Roberta, right? Like, that's not what I'm saying at all. Or your name's not Beth anymore, now it'll be Georgetta, right? Like, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, how many of you want to leave all the scars, all the dirtiness, all the mistakes, all the names that people have called you, all the things that you hold on to that you think have become your identity, and you want to receive a new identity in the covenant of God? Oh, I need an amen for that. Like, for real. Amen. I don't even ask for that that much, right? But I need something right now. Because how many of you want that? Because I can feel it that you need it. How many of you want to leave all that before God? Just give me a yes if you need that, okay? You know, you know what's going to look at you, but if you need that right now, can you give me a yes? Yep. Hey, I got a yes. 
I got a yes. I got all the brokenness. I was a drug dealer. Both my parents died of meth overdoses. My sisters, three of them, died of overdoses. I have all this inside of me. You think that I don't wake up in the morning and say, how am I worthy to carry out the gospel? How am I worthy to live in a house? How am I worthy to drive a car? How am I worthy to have two children and one on the way? I look at myself every day and say that. And then I remember that he is God Almighty. Yes. Amen. And that in my weakness... His grace is made perfect. In my weakness, he is sufficient. When Abraham, his name was changed, when Abraham was standing before God, all he could say was, God, I'm 99 years old. Oh, man, because when God wants to transform us, we always got an excuse. God, but how are you going to use me? God, I don't have a car. God, I don't have a college degree. God, I don't have a GED. God, I don't have this. God, I don't have that. See, we're always looking at the things that we don't have and never looking at the thing that we do have. Abraham said, God, I'm 99. And if you've seen my lady, she's 90. I don't know if you know science. And God's thinking, oh my gosh. I invented science. Nah, but anyway, so that don't work. And he laughs at God when he says, I'm going to provide you a child. You see, so often we miss out on the blessing of God because we don't have the faith to stand before him and have faith in him to provide. God wants to provide, but sometimes we just laugh in his face. And sometimes it doesn't even sound like laughter. Sometimes it's like, oh, I hear you, God, now I'm going to do my thing. Sometimes it's like, oh, God did this. And then you're like, oh, well, one day. One day, I'll do that. One day, I'll give up the thing that plagues me. One day, I'll be a follower. One day, I'll be with God. One day, one day, one day, one day. What about today? What about today? God changed Abraham's name in a moment. God changed his trajectory in a moment. God said, I'm going to provide you a child in a moment. Now, God, when Abraham told, when God told Abraham that, he laughed at him. He laughed at him. And then in Genesis chapter 19, actually 18, we've already heard a little bit about this, but Sarah then laughs at the three men when they come. Hey, do you know what that's reflective of? How bad do you think we are? How low self-confidence we have in ourselves? And how low faith that we have in God that he can take a wreck and turn it into something? Abraham laughs at him and says, God, won't you just use Ishmael? Remember, Ishmael is the illegitimate son that Abraham had with Hagar. After Sarah was, uh, Sari was like, this is what God meant. Remember, that's always dangerous. It's never what God meant. It's what God said. God don't send you mixed messages. Can you just forget about that right now? God's not trying to make you figure it out through an astrological sign or anything like that. God, God's giving it to you straightforward. And so he gives it to him straightforward, and Sarai's like, well, what if we have a baby with my slave woman? And Abram's like, Abram's like, yeah, that sounds, that sounds right. Right? We're going to do it the natural way. It's going to be good, right? And so they have a baby, and Hagar's at Hagar and Ishmael, and God says, God, I know that Ishmael wasn't the way, but would you just use Ishmael because scientifically, logically, it doesn't make sense how you could give us a kid. See, Abraham is so unfocused on God that he says, God, let me accept second best. Think about that. How many of us accept second best?
second best because we don't think we're worthy of first? How many of us accept second best because we think that's all God can do? You feel that? How many of you are like, well, at least God gave me a Bible. He's never going to speak to me. No. How many of you are like, well, at least God saved me from hell. He doesn't have to have a relationship with me. No. God wants to give you all the grace, all the mercy. That doesn't always look like materialistic blessing. But God wants to give you all the love and all the power and all the comfort. God wants to give you more than you think you're worth because he sees your worth not in you but in Christ. Amen. You're worthy. You're valuable. God loves you. He wants to set you apart just like he did with Abram. See, he took Abram and turned him into Abraham. He took Sari and turned her into Sarah. The father and the mother of nations, of generations. How many of you need that today? How many of you need that right now? You need that generation-changing power. You need that generation-changing love. You need to quit being called your mistakes and be called who Christ has called you to be. You know what he's called you to be? A son and a daughter. Hey, you're a sinner. You're destined to eternal separation from him through your sin and your disobedience. Eternal separation from him is also called hell. But the only bad thing about hell is Jesus ain't there. Y'all feel that? I'm not scared of hell. I'm scared that Jesus is not there. I'm scared that in hell, it's the eternal separation of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'm not scared of hell. I'm in love with Jesus. I'm in love with who he took me and renamed me a son. I'm in love with the fact that I'm a sinner, that I should be destined to eternal separation from him. But he loved me enough to send the son. You feel that power? He loved you enough to send Jesus. And we're sitting over here with a $1 bag of chips when we can have Doritos. Like we're sitting over at the Dollar General brand Doritos. You know they taste like cardboard. And it's like, you can have the Doritos, but you're just like, no, I'm okay with this. How many of you are okay with second best because you don't feel worthy of the best? Hey, I know you're in here right now. Hey, bow your heads with me. Jesus Christ came and died on the cross for you. If it was only you, I don't know your name, but if it was only you, he would have came for you. And he said, you're my love. You're the one I've looked for. You're the one I've wanted forever. And he chose you. And he died for you. And he took all the sin, all your iniquity, all your disgustingness, every name you've been called. And he laid it upon his son, Jesus Christ. And he died for it because he loves you. He loved you enough to die. But he didn't stay dead because our God is not dead. And he resurrected three days after that. So that you can be called a son and a daughter. So that you can be called worthy. So that you can be called majesty. So that you can be a co-heir with Christ as the Bible says. Not second best, but the best. See, having a knowledge of God is nothing close to a relationship. He wants to know you so deeply and passionately. He wants to, he's a personable God. He wants to be in every single day with you. That's what makes our God different than every other God, every other small G God. 
is that he wants you and he desires you. He wants to be involved with you. Hey, can you do me a favor? You got your heads bowed, you got your eyes closed. I just want to have a little bit of time of prayer. Maybe today you're here and you're feeling really scared right now, okay? You're like, what's this dude about to do? Hey, if you feel unworthy today, will you raise your hand with me? Don't be embarrassed. Don't be ashamed. Just raise your hand. I want to pray for you, okay? Raise them high for me, okay? And here's what we're going to do. I'm going to have somebody come, and they're just going to lay a hand on you. Don't trip. Don't worry. It's okay. Just keep them up. Hey, don't be scared. Don't, don't put those things down. They're just going to come. They're going to lay a hand on you, and they're going to pray for you, okay? Because that's what the kingdom of Christ is about. That's what the church is about. It's praying for people. And so they're going to come, and they're going to lay a hand on you. They're not going to ask you any questions. Just let them come. Let them lay that hand, and let them pray for you. And I'm going to lift you guys up and pray. And then I have another question for you. I have a deep question for you. I have a life-changing question for you. I have an acceptance question for you. I have something that will change the trajectory of your entire life. I have something that Christ wants to show you. Tyler, we got somebody here in the back. Can you get them? So I want Christ to show you how passionate he is about you. Now, as you got your hands on that person, I want you to pray over them. But I'm going to pray for us. Also, I'm going to have y'all do pray with grace and honesty. Y'all both got your hands up. That's going to be good. Okay, just keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. We're going to lift these guys up in prayer. A choir of prayer. I'm going to be praying my own prayer, but let the Holy Spirit tell you what they need prayed for. And reach your hands out to Christ. Just grab a hold of them. Father God, thank you for this moment. Thank you for this day. Father God, I thank you that you make us worthy through the name of Jesus Christ. That when we feel like there's nowhere to go, when we feel like there's no way out, when we feel like we're defined by our mistakes and our sin, you said no. I love you enough to die for you. I'm going to come for you. I'm going to take it upon me because I love you. I want nothing more than you. I want nothing more than you. I don't want heaven without you. I want an acceptance and a relationship with you. I want the power. I want to change your name because he is the Lord Almighty. He is the King of kings. He is majesty. He is love. He is transforming, redemptive power. Father God, for each person in this room with their hand raised, for each person in this room with a hand on them, I pray for a conjuncture of your Holy Spirit, a converging of your Holy Spirit, a power so strong, a love so great that death can't defeat. Oh, death, where is your sting? There is no victory in death because Christ is our all. Death has no sting because Christ has defeated death. <clears throat> Lord, thank you for defeating death in these people's lives. With their hands raised, their heads bowed, I pray for love to enter in. I pray for a transformation to enter in, just like with Abel. Now, if you're here and you have your heads bowed and your eyes closed, please continue to stay like that. There may be people praying for you still. That's okay. Hey, if you're here today and you need a relationship with Jesus, you've listened to all these things that I've said and you're like, I want that. I need that. Hey, can you do me a favor? Will you raise your hand one more time? 
Hey, if, if raise that hand, okay, we got if we got her with her hand raised, and Sarah's gonna come over and she's gonna grab her and she's gonna come talk to her. And so we just want you to get up. Everybody's heads bowed, everybody's eyes closed. I usually wait till the end, but I feel the spirit telling me it needs to happen right now. If you're here and you need that, will you come find me afterwards? Maybe you feel scared to raise your hand, and that's okay. I just want to give you a moment. Will you guys stand with me? Stand up with me here. Hey, if you raised your hand, my wife's right there in the flower dress. Will you go with her? She just wants to talk to you right now. That's all she wants to do. <clears throat> and if you're worried to go with her, just come afterwards and find me. Don't leave here without talking to me. Don't leave here without the power. Don't leave here without the transformation. Hey, we're going to enter into a time of baptism. So if you're getting baptized today, can you go ahead and go get dressed? Christ has called you to be loved. Christ has called you to be valued. Christ wants nothing more for you than the absolute best. But the absolute best doesn't always look like we expect it to look like. Y'all feel me on that? Sometimes the absolute best looks like losing somebody. That's hard for you to hear. But sometimes the absolute best looks like that. Because Christ's plan is bigger than us. Sometimes the absolute best looks like hurt because in our suffering, perseverance is gained. Hope is gained. When we understand the depravity, when we understand what bad looks like, good is made sufficient, grace is made sufficient. We can understand the goodness of Christ through the death he made for us. And you're loved and you're valued. You are a race of royal priesthood is what the book of Timothy says. God's building you into a spiritual house. God has such great plans for you. But you need to come into that relationship with him so you can experience the goodness of God. He wants you. Stop living second best, experience the best. And we're going to enter into a time of communion. We're going to enter into a time of offering. And so if you feel led to give, you can give right here in this bucket. This is a horse trough. You guys are like, why do they got such a good one? Well, it's because I don't want second best. Now understand what I'm not saying. I'm not saying I expect you to fill this up. What I'm saying, if I had something small, I wouldn't have a very big expectation of who my God is. There's a story in the book of Kings, and this woman's about to lose everything that she's ever had. Her husband has died. She has a son, and they're gonna, the debtor's going to take him and sell him into slavery to make back the money. And Elijah comes and she says, what do you need? And Elijah says, well, go into your house. Start to pour out this small jar of oil that you have. But before you do that, find every other jar that you can find. And so he, she brings all these jars and she starts to fill and they're filled and they're filled and they're filled. And then it runs out. The reason it ran out, because she had limited God to the potential by the amount of jars that she had. That's not prosperity. Don't, don't misunderstand me. I am not saying that God wants to give you money and wealth and riches. But I'm saying that God wants to provide for you whatever that provision looks like. If it's love, if it's forgiveness, that's the main ones. But also he provides in other ways. And he wants to provide for this church so that we can reach the community. And so if you want to give, you give right here. Or you can do that at ivyclifton.com. There's a little give thing. Or you can do it on Venmo, Impact Drayton. You can do it any way that you want. 
But I'm not going to limit God by not having enough jars. Hey, stop limiting God by not having enough jars. In your own life, God wants to give you the desires of your heart. When the desires of your heart are in him. Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God and all your things you have. We're going to enter into a time of communion. Communion is a very special thing that we get to do as a family. Communion is this time when Jesus sat with his disciples at the Last Supper and said, this is a new covenant that I give you. Just like he said to Abram, this is a new covenant that I give you. And he gives them bread, and he said, the bread represents the body which will be laid around the crown for you. And he gives them wine, and he said, the wine represents my blood which will be poured out for you, which will cover all your sin." Whenever you do this, whenever you gather, do this in remembrance of me, Christ Jesus. See, this communion is the remembrance of his death on the cross that he loved you enough to die for you. And he gave us this meal to remind us of that. And so when we come together, we partake in the body and the blood of Christ, which has given us relationship with him, which was given us freedom from our sins. So if you're in a relationship with Jesus, I'd like you to do this. If you're in a relationship with Jesus, maybe you're on a little bit of a rocky road. You're like, man, I got a lot of unconfessed sin I need to talk to God about. Will you just, just stand and pray? Because this is for people who want that relationship with Jesus in there and, and who have had conversations with Jesus that are hard. Now, here's the deal. If you're in a relationship with Jesus and you got a lot of unconfessed sin, take this moment to forgive that, to give it to him. And then come take communion. Or if you have, like, some heated anger against somebody, hey, take a minute to let that out. Forgive them like Christ has forgiven them before you take communion. Now here's what we're going to do. I'm going to stand right here, and you guys are just going to come this way, and then you're going to split off that way. Yeah, I used to stand over here, and then my wife was like, why do you keep doing that? It would be way easier just to stand here, and then people would go, oh, yeah. Because Christ is a God of organization, right? So, come and take communion. And remember, as you come, return to your seat, and when you return to your seat, we're going to take this together. Don't